Well, good morning and welcome to Northridge. My name is Josh. I'm the outreach director here at Northridge Church. And I just want to say a special welcome to our Rochester campus, our Webster campus, and those of you that are watching online. I'm really excited to be with you this morning. And I want to say a very special welcome home. I really do hope that this feels like home to you here at Northridge, that it's the kind of place you can walk alongside other people on your spiritual journey wherever you find yourself. Now, we are in week seven of our series, Habits for Change. So for the last six weeks, we've been diving into these, these habits, these rhythms, these patterns that we see in Scripture, that when we live by them, God uses them to transform us, to make us look more like Jesus, to do incredible things in our lives and in the world around us. And so we've talked about things like community, we've talked about serving and sacrifice, we've talked about rest, all good and powerful things for change. And there's one thing that's common among all six of these that's different with the seventh one, the last one we're gonna talk about today. The other six, I firmly believe that while they are most beneficial for people who would say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, they're most beneficial for Christians, I believe all of the other habits can be beneficial even to people who would say, hey, I, I'm not in on this. I'm not a follower of Jesus. We all can benefit from community and benefit from rest. We all benefit when we serve others. Even studying God's word, I believe there are principles in scripture that people who are not followers of Jesus could learn from and, and gain real benefit in their lives. It's most transformational if you follow Jesus, but it has benefit for everyone but not today. The seventh habit for change is sharing your faith. And hopefully it's obvious, if it's not your faith, then you're not sharing your faith, right? If you're talking about these things, you're talking about Jesus and God and the Bible, it's dialogue, it's conversation. But if you would not call yourself a follower of Jesus, then you are not sharing your faith when you talk about these things, right? And so this is a unique week in that it's only for followers. If you're here and you say, I'm not, I'm not bought into all this yet. I'm checking out Northridge. I'm seeing what you guys are about. I'm not bought into this whole Jesus follower thing. This is your week off. You get to sit back, relax, get an inside look into who we are, get a kind of inside look in what drives us as a church and drives us as a Jesus people. And this is your week off. But for the rest of you, you have to pay attention and listen in. So what we're going to be talking about is sharing your faith. And we actually get our mission from two different places. The mission here at Northridge is more and better more followers of Jesus, seeing people come to accept Jesus and follow him with their lives, and then better to see people grow to look and act more like Jesus. And the first place that we see this mission kind of laid out for us is actually in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. If you're not familiar, we call that passage the Great Commission. And I'm going to be jumping all over the Bible this morning, looking at a lot of different passages. But if there's one that I would encourage you to stick a bookmark in, to read again and again, and to memorize, it would be this, the Great Commission. Because in this passage, these are the words of Jesus. We find Jesus after he's died and risen from the dead. So a risen Jesus is appearing to his followers in the first few weeks after he was crucified. And he's sharing this mission, this command with his followers. And so we read this in Matthew 28. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
Okay, so we see the command. The command is to go and make disciples. That's the more of our mission. And how do we do it? We do it by baptizing, that outward expression of an inward change. We baptize and then we teach people to obey Jesus. That's the better. So more and better. But then the mission gets clarified a little more tightly by Jesus in Acts chapter one, verse eight. So we see Jesus, again, this is in that window after he's risen from the dead and he's challenging and speaking to his followers. He says this in Acts 1, eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So it uses the language of witnesses. What have we witnessed? We have witnessed what God has done in history. The words of scripture, we see the life and ministry of Jesus and what he did on our behalf. So we've witnessed something in history. And then we've also witnessed something, all of us that would say we're followers of Jesus, we've witnessed an inward change in our lives. And we're witnessing all the time what is happening around us, what God is doing in the lives of other people. So like a witness on a witness stand, we testify to that. We have a testimony that we share about what God has done in history and in our lives and the lives around us. And so for Jesus, that's the mission, to be witnesses to the work of Jesus and to make disciples, to make disciples or students or followers or learners. That word disciple can mean learner or student of Jesus. But I know it can be so daunting. When I say share your faith, we immediately get paralyzed, many of us, about, I mean, what am I supposed to say? How am I supposed to say it? Won't that put walls in front of people? Won't that be awkward? You're not supposed to talk about religion, right? It's hard to think about what we're supposed to say. And so that's what I want to unpack a little bit today. Because I don't think the real struggle under the hood is that we don't know enough. I don't think there's some magic threshold that if you've been attending church for a year or five years or 10 years, then you're ready to share your faith. I would argue that if you've been attending any length of time here, or if you've been in other churches that that engage with the scriptures deeply, you probably know the message. You know the gospel or the good news of Jesus that Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died in our place for our sins. And we respond. We make Jesus the leader of our lives, the forgiver of our sins. We accept that what he did was enough for us. And then we're welcomed into the family. That's the gospel. That's the message of Jesus. So you don't have to be in a class for a certain amount of time to know enough to share your faith. We have the message. What I think is the real problem for all of us, for most of us anyway, is we don't actually have anyone to share our faith with. I don't mean we're not interacting with people that don't follow Jesus. I'm saying we're not deeply connected to people that don't follow Jesus. Many of us don't have strong relationships with people outside of the faith. And the last few years have been the worst of all. It's been so isolating, right? Physical distance between many of us, changes in workplace dynamics, work from home or remote work or remote learning, all of it has created physical distance. And then there's all these conversations out there, these cultural dialogues that are shoving wedges into relationships over and over again and making it so difficult to connect with people who don't already agree with us and who don't already think like us. And in that isolation, I think we get what we want. It's easy to be isolated and have our bubble, but it's only through the message of the gospel that we can bridge all those gaps and bring real healing to our world and to our lives but we are so much further away than ever before from the people right around us. I would say we don't make enough space in our lives for people who do not already know Jesus. And so that's my focus today. 
My focus is on how do we cultivate the habit of creating space, creating time for people who do not know Jesus in our lives. And I'm going to say it this way. We need to save a seat. We need to save a seat in a number of different areas in our lives for someone else. And what do I mean by different areas? Well, the first one is we need to save a seat at the table at the table. Like, I might even mean literally at your kitchen table. You need to make space in your personal life to have relationships, to have friendships with people who do not share your faith. In Mark chapter 2, there's this incredible story from the life of Jesus where he makes friends with Levi. Levi is a tax collector, and then Jesus goes to Levi's house for dinner. Now, in that culture, tax collector is a negative term. It's one of those biblical terms that I think carries over well into today. When I say tax collector, your gut instinct isn't, yeah, that's a great guy. I'd love to know a tax collector, right? Um, So it's not a positive thing. And here's what it says in Mark 2. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I absolutely love the play on words there. It uses language of tax collectors and sinners. Those are negative terms, but the passage is not about correcting those people. It's actually Jesus addressing the religious people who didn't think of themselves as sinners. He's correcting the people that would say, I'm not a sinner and I'm not going to associate with sinners. They wouldn't admit they're sinners. Yet those are the ones that Jesus called out in this passage. The problem here is guilt by association. They didn't want to be associated with people who weren't like them. And the takeaway from the passage, don't be like that. Be like Jesus. Share your table with the people who you would get in trouble for associating with. People are going to assume something about your politics, about your worldview, about your beliefs, by who you spend time with. But that's the point, to be around people who do not share what you already believe. Now, Don't hear me wrong. Don't misquote me on this piece. A few weeks ago, um, we talked about community at length. Your closest, deepest relationships ought to spur you towards Jesus. You've got to have people in your life that love the Lord, that you can connect with and push each other and drive each other to look and act more like Jesus. But we cannot fulfill the Great Commission, not effectively anyway, unless we've got real relationships with people outside of our Christian circles So some questions I would ask us all to consider. Do you have any strong, deep, real relationships, any meaningful friendships with folks who don't already agree with you? And I've got to ask this too. Do I have ongoing, regular connections with people who do not follow Jesus? When I started following Christ um, right before college, one of the first things I did was immediately fill my life with Christian activities. I was so excited about my, my young faith. So if I wasn't doing schoolwork or going to class, I was in you know, Christian activities, Christian clubs on campus, doing church-related things. And someone close to me realized how kind of insulated I was from the world around me, and they challenged me. And the question they asked me has stuck with me ever since. They asked me, who is going to be at your funeral? And that rocked me to the core to think about who would be there And I came to the conclusion that I want my tombstone to say a sinner who was a friend of sinners. 
that the people present at my funeral, they might've initially thought God doesn't love them, but they came to understand that God does love them because I opened my table to them and shared that with them. That's what I want. Who would be at your funeral? We need to save a seat at the table. And then from there, we save a seat in the conversation. We don't invite people to the table just to tell them what they need. We need to genuinely listen. We need to hear what people are saying, hear what our community is saying. Too often, we convince ourselves that that the culture out there or the world outside of our walls has nothing to offer, so we don't listen. But the reality is we'll take what we want from the culture, right? We'll take what we want from it. We love ourselves some sporting events and other cultural activities. Some of us dress in trendy clothing, not me, but some of us dress in trendy clothing, right? We run at the world's pace. We define winning the way the world does. But then we don't listen when the world out there will tell us, this is why we do things the way we do. This is what we're facing that leads us to this line of thinking. We isolate ourselves from the conversation. We end up addressing concerns the culture isn't asking, questions the culture isn't talking about. We engage in all the wrong dialogues. So I look to Paul, a leader in the first century church, when he wrote this to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do this, I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Paul's goal It was to empathize, to understand, to think the same way as, to pattern their thinking after the people that we're listening to who do not know the gospel. He knew who he was and what he believed. There's a few statements right in that passage where he's saying, well, I know I'm not that, I'm not that. He knows who he is. He didn't lose himself by hearing what someone else had to say, but it made him able to empathize. He can bring to bear the gospel on what people are really facing. Because we believe that the gospel is the solution to the pain and suffering that we all see and experience in our lives and in this world. But we can't just run in with right answers. We need to establish right relationships or no one will listen. I mentioned that I started following Jesus right before college. And to be frank, I have lots of questions about faith. I've had them for years. Um, I went into science. I have multiple advanced degrees in the field of biophysics. Isn't that interesting? Fun fact. So, um, (laughs) but I have lots of questions about faith and science, but those didn't prevent me from coming to faith. I came to faith because people close to me were willing to talk to me about my questions, willing to engage with me, willing to walk with me in those dialogues. And it's in the context of relationship that I came to follow Jesus. None of us has all the answers anyway. None of us has a perfect understanding of God. We're always learning. None of us has a perfect understanding of the Bible. We're always learning. But in the context of relationship, we wrestle with these questions together. And we can't be afraid of questions. Questions are a great opportunity for us to stretch ourselves and grow and learn and and read new books and listen to new voices and go out there and find videos to help tackle topics that we don't fully understand. We shouldn't be afraid of that. 
But the pattern I see again and again, my story is just one anecdote, but the pattern I see again and again is in the context of relationship where you give people a place to be known and to be heard. That's where the gospel takes its deepest roots. So here are some questions I ask myself and I would encourage all of us to ask. Do you have any idea what the people of your workplace, your neighborhood or our city are feeling or thinking or facing? Or are we letting someone else tell us what those people are facing, thinking, or feeling? Are we listening to them? Do the things we publicly care about, do those things close doors? Do they build walls before we've had a chance for a real dialogue? What about the things we share on social media? What about the things I'm loudest about? Does that build walls? No one is gonna listen to my message until they know it comes from a place that, that really cares about what they have to say and what they're thinking. People don't care one bit what we know until they know that we really do care, right? So we make space. We save a seat, not just at the table, not just in the conversation, but we also save a seat in our hearts. This is about a radical love. We need to stop seeing hills to die on and start seeing the people that are there to love. Check this out. This is another passage from a letter that Paul wrote, this time to the believers in Rome. He wrote in Romans 9, I speak the truth. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Paul This is absolutely crazy to me. And I don't even, I start to ask logistical questions about how this works, but Paul was willing to give up his salvation, his relationship with Jesus. He was willing to give that up if he knew that's what it would take for the people he loved most to know Christ. I'm barely willing to give up 15 minutes sometimes. So some other questions I would ask, do we genuinely love other people or are they in our way? Are they projects, problems, to-do lists, tasks? Or do we see people for what they are? People made in the image of God that no matter where they are and no matter what they believe today, they're worthy of my love and my respect. Here's a profound question. This one rocks me to my core. Would others be ashamed to speak badly of me because I've treated them with nothing but gentleness, love, and respect? Can we say that about the way we've engaged with people who don't agree with us? So we save a seat in our hearts. And then lastly, we save a seat in our church. This is about a radical community. There's this incredible story in Acts chapter 15. This is the early church. They're asking questions about like, if I come to faith or if someone comes to faith in Jesus, what do they have to do? What activity do they have to do to be a part of what God's doing, to join the church? And there was this group in that dialogue that was, was pushing back and saying, you know, if someone comes to faith in Jesus, they really need to start obeying the laws and the rules and the regulations. They need to become Jewish in order to also be Christian. And so James, a leader in the early church in chapter 15 in Acts, he stands up and he says, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. James tells us we need to remove any extra barriers that we've created to following Jesus 
and being a part of his church. Get all that extra stuff out of the way so people can genuinely seek. Now, don't hear me wrong. The goal is not to reach people for Northridge. I don't honestly care how many people follow Northridge. I don't want you following me. I don't want you following Drew. I want you following Christ to follow Jesus. But the reality is when you begin following Jesus, you are welcomed into the family. That comes with a relationship with Jesus. And let's be honest, how many of us in the last year or a couple years have considered skipping Thanksgiving or family reunion because the baggage is a little much or that person's gonna make a comment you're not ready to deal with or something's gonna come up? Some of you have been brave enough to actually skip it, but, <laughs> but here's the thing, that's family. Family is messy. And just like a messy family, that's the church. The church in all of its messy, broken glory is the family of God. But we cannot let our politics, our preferences, our passions get in the way of what God is doing in people's lives. It cannot get in the way of people who are saying, I genuinely want to learn more. I want to get to know Jesus or I want to hear what you have to say. We cannot put up barriers. So where's our line? Where do we draw the line on who can be a part of our church, who can be part of our community groups? Is there a way that someone could dress, habits they could have in their lives, beliefs they could hold that I would use to disqualify them from learning about Jesus? Especially if they're genuinely seeking him. We cannot put extra barriers in place. My hope and prayer is that we will continue to be the kind of place where there's no perfect people allowed You don't have to clean up or figure it out before you show up. I want you on the stream. We want you in our auditoriums so that you can hear more about Jesus. You clean up after you figure out Jesus and none of us clean it all up anyway, right? As a church, we are not trying to force someone into a box. It's an invitation into the greatest adventure imaginable to know the one who made you and the one who died for you, to know Christ and him crucified. And I believe if you're saving seats for people, saving seats at the table, saving seats you know, in your heart, at our church, saving seats in the conversation, you're gonna look back on your life and you're gonna see this incredible trail in your life patterned after the life that Jesus lived because Jesus constantly made time for people who were not like him. And the people that were least like Jesus, man, they really liked Jesus. And he made space for them and he made time for them. You'll see how God used the habit of making space in your life to transform your life and to transform the lives of all of the people that you made time for. That's how he works. And why I love so much that this series ends with sharing our faith is because I think the other six habits of change we've talked about, and if you haven't heard the rest of the series, go back and listen to them. But I think those other habits, they're intended for us to be equipped to pour them out for other people. Sometimes we read our Bibles and pray and fast and do all these Christian disciplines just for our own gain, but that turns Jesus and what he did into this individualized self-help system, and that's not what it's about. I pray and I fast to tune my heart to Christ so that I can invite someone else to tune theirs to his as well. I study my Bible to know God so that I can tell other people about him. I find community and I find rest to create margin and and to empower me to invite others to experience the rest and community that's only found in Jesus. Those disciplines make me love God more and I want to share that with other people. You can't bottle that up. 
And so we make space for others to share all that God has done in our lives and invite them to experience that as well. And I don't, I don't want to leave you hanging. Um, we'll talk a little bit about how to share your faith, but the reality is there's lots of things that can make it difficult for us to save a seat. So on the podcast this week, if you listen in, we're talking more about barriers to saving a seat. So you can go deeper in that conversation. But as far as actually sharing our faith, here's what I'd say. Around here at Northridge, we have these three words we talk about all the time, pray, invest, invite. That's our outreach strategy. We pray for folks that are far from God and invest in their lives and then invite them to take their next step on their spiritual journey. And saving a seat fits perfectly. I pray for people and invest in their lives. That's creating space in my heart and in my life for the people God has for me to connect with. And then I invite them to experience what I love so much, what brings me the greatest joy. And this is a natural process. We all share things that we're passionate about, right? I mean, I love Star Wars movies. I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Every time Disney Plus releases a new show, I'm just like, take all my money, it's fine, I don't need it anyway. But if you get me started on those, I wanna talk about them all day. I wanna tell you about the connections between the episodes and what's happening and these other movies and these books and all of it. I get so excited and I wanna share it because I love it. I love my Cleveland Browns and none of you want an invite to that, so it's fine. (laughs) I love making homemade hot sauce and I wanna tell you all about the peppers that grow in my backyard to make the sauces that I make. I love fixing my own car in my driveway. I wanna tell you about how I replaced the stereo in my car and how I changed its exhaust system. I love hiking. I want to tell you about the hike I'm planning with my 10-year-old son this fall, 50 miles around Cranberry Lake in the Adirondacks. I want to tell you about these things because they get me excited. Things that we love, they're made most complete when we share them with others. C.S. Lewis, one of my very favorite authors, expresses it in a very poetic way that's much better than anything I could say. So let me read from him. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is, to come suddenly at the turn of a road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than a tin can in the ditch, to hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. We know that our joy in something beautiful and life-changing is made complete when we share it with someone else. How more is that true when we're talking about the greatest thing, about our salvation, our salvation in Jesus? Jesus, Paul, the Bible, all of it speaks of salvation and how we have to share our faith because it is the thing of greatest importance and the thing of greatest joy. So we pray, we invest, and we invite We share what's happened in our lives and in history and invite others to follow Jesus. That's the mission before us. Now, I want to share just a quick side story. I'll come over here and take this chair. Don't worry, I'm still saving a seat over here. Um, So my kids have this habit of not using things. They, They hold on to stickers and pencils for a really long time to save them for a special occasion. So we end up with stickers that never get used and pencils that never get sharpened. And I know where they get it from because we have buckets at home of stickers and pencils that are 30 years old from when my wife was a kid. I even have mint condition pogs. Where's my 90s kids at? 
pogs, right? If you know anything about pogs, the whole point of a pog is you stack them and then you slam them with a slammer. It's like, that's like the whole game. It's whatever, it's a thing. And so they're mint condition and they've never been slammed because we didn't wanna, she didn't wanna put like nicks in them or bend them up. She wanted to keep them nice. But then they never got used for what they were intended to be used for. In an attempt not to let our kids be hoarders, I make them sharpen pencils and no matter what, and draw and write and create because that's what a pencil was made to do. I force them to use stickers because that's what they were made to be used for, right? A ship. A ship is safest in harbor. It's not where a ship is meant to be. A car is safest in the garage. It's not what a car is made for, right? A combat medic has no value if they're nowhere near the front lines. And yet we find ways to insulate ourselves in our auditoriums or in our community groups away from the people who most desperately need the message of Jesus. It's not who we are. It's not what we were meant to do. So my challenge to all of us is to think of someone. Figure out who you need to save a seat for. And I know there's seats everywhere in your lives to save. Here in our auditoriums, every family, you've got three or four seats between you and the next family, leaving plenty of cushion room. There's seats here. If you're at home watching, maybe there's a seat in your living room. If you're on the chat, that number could be one higher in the chat. Who are you saving a seat for? And we would love to walk with you in this. On iWant.info, that site we always point you to, you can let us know. The first button on there, if you go there, is a chance to share with us the name of who you want to save a seat for. I'm making time this week to pray through every single name that you submit. You can share just the first name or first names of people. If you don't know the name, first of all, this message is probably most for you. But if you don't have names, describe who you want to save a seat for. It's going to be my neighbor. It's going to be the parents of the other kids in our kids' sporting team. It's going to, whoever it's going to be. And then commit time this week to make room, to save a seat. Walk over, knock on the door of that neighbor that you've been neighbor to for 10 years but never actually caught their name. Whoever it is, let's commit to save a seat this week. Because I don't want any of us to leave a moment like this, a message like this, and just sit and collect dust in the Christian bubble. That is not who we are. That is not what we were meant to do. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that you would tune our hearts to love people the way that you love them, to chase people the way you chased them, and invite people to the greatest thing, your gospel. Make that central in our hearts and minds. May all of these habits of change point us to a life lived like Jesus, making time for other people and sharing with them the hope that's only found in you. Make that our heartbeat today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.